Today's episode is brought to you by The Ringer NFL Show. This week is the NFL Combine, and our football experts are live from Indianapolis breaking down everything you need to know. You can subscribe to The Ringer NFL Show at iTunes.com slash The Ringer or wherever you get podcasts. And if you're listening to this episode on Channel 33, we have some excellent long-awaited news. A lot of people have asked, and now we can answer. Yes, you can subscribe to Achievement Oriented on its own podcast feed. Search for it wherever you get podcasts, subscribe, and please remember to rate and review us. It helps us out. Welcome to Achievement Oriented, The Ringer's official gaming podcast. I am Jason Concepcion, a staff writer at The Ringer, and hunkered down in his Manhattan apartment with a virulent case of mono. <laughs> it's Benjamin Lindbergh. If only I could craft an antidote to my illness. <laughs> I've explored every menu, and there's nothing I can do but wait for it to go away. I, uh, I'm pretty sure I had mono at one time because all my symptoms were congruent with mono and so Mm -hmm. basically i just stayed inside for a few months yeah i am too old to have mono but i have it anyway and it actually (laughs) works out pretty well because giant 60 hour open world games are coming out every week right now so i can't go outside anyway so good timing yes uh horizon zero dawn which came out this week benjamin Lindbergh. Just minutes ago, uh, breathlessly DM'd me, big things happening. I think I know what Zero Dawn was. (laughs) (laughs) It took me, I don't know how many hours I've put into this game, but enough that it feels like it should be over. Just kind of my internal clock that tells me how close I am to the end of a video game. But my clock is off because I went into the menu, looked at the completion percentage, and it says 36.12%. Which, by the way, if your completion percentage goes out to two decimal places, I feel like that's a bad (laughs) sign. It means there's too much stuff to do in your game. Anyway, I'm enjoying it. We're going to talk about Horizon Zero Dawn because we've both been playing it. That'll be the first half of this episode. Later in the episode, we're going to talk to Luke Plunkett from Kotaku about Resident Evil 7 and about being scared of video games. I freely admit I am a video game wuss. So is Luke. We're going to have him on to talk about what scares us in video games and why they scare us in different ways than other entertainment media. And we should say that we unlocked a a new area of our personal (laughs) podcast map. We're we're progressing up the skill tree. We have our own channel now. Lots of people have asked us if they could subscribe to Achievement Oriented. Now they can. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter at Achievement Pod, where we'll tweet out all the episodes and what we're planning to talk to. And I don't know, maybe you'll make some jokes. You're good at Twitter. You should follow us there for updates and subscribe on iTunes and rate and review us so that other people know it's a good show and they should listen to it. Please, before they cancel us. (laughs) Right. And we're going to talk about Zelda and Switch next week. My Switch is arriving tonight. It is out for delivery right now. I'm I'm tracking <laughs> the delivery no information. No, <laughs> no worse feeling. Yeah. So I'm madly trying to finish Horizon Zero Dawn in time to start Zelda. It's probably not going to happen, but we'll talk about that next week. But first, Horizon Zero Dawn. What do you think? I like it a lot. I like it Same. a lot. I, it's very similar to many other games that I also like a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's a strange game in that... Uh, you know, anytime there's kind of like this anti 
technological message in a video game. It feels very much like uh, like an Ouroboros or whatever that <laughs> mystical creature is that eats its own tail. But right. uh, I like this game a lot. I mean, I, it's uh, the graphics are absolutely beautiful. The uh, mm-hmm. um, I, I I guess there's. The criticisms I would have are that it's so sprawling. I wish some of the features were a little bit more focused, a little more crafted. Some of the hunting things, maybe some of the mechanics and in the way that uh, the combat takes place. Other than that, the tutorial, like we've been talking about long campaigns. The tutorial felt like it went on for like two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at least, I think. It's almost a, a completely different game. When which, you start this game, it's like a very linear, yes. very focused, uh, plot-driven adventure. You... You play as Aloy, who when you start the game is a six-year-old and she gets older as you progress, but it's initially a a very small scope game and you're just exploring the parameters of this world and it's almost a Joel and Ellie relationship with you and this guy named Rust. And after that tutorial that sort of introduces you to this world, the game pulls back and zooms out and things get enormous and it feels like a, a different game. And I didn't mind the tutorial. I didn't mind having my hand held a little bit at the beginning and being gradually introduced to this world. Cause we should say just to set things up, this is a, a game developed by Gorilla Games, the makers of many a kill zone game. <laughs> what a plot <laughs> twist this is. Yeah, like, what a left a, turn. Quite a departure. And yeah, yeah, Killzone is a first-person shooter series. It's sort of technically proficient, but creatively uninspired. I've I've played a bunch of them. I finished them and almost instantly forgot them. And I don't think that's going to be the case with Horizon. So this sort of fits into the Ubisoft open world, collect things, explore things, unlock the map kind of model. I don't love the open world name because we've been playing open world games going back decades but this sort of ubisoft model there are a lot of things in this game that will remind you of other games and the first time i saw screenshots of this game i thought oh wow that looks like enslaved odyssey to the west which was a really great last gen game about a post-apocalyptic future where you're battling robots and it's a kind of a two-person adventure. It's a young redheaded woman and this beefy guy, and that's sort of what Horizon Zero Dawn is when you start. And the mechanics of the game will remind you of all of those open-world games. So Aloy moves like Nathan Drake. She can hop and climb everything. You unlock the map in a kind of Shadows of Mordor, Assassin's Creed sense, and you progress and you gradually move on to bigger and bigger areas. And Far Cry Primal, you've mentioned to me, is a, a big touchstone here. A lot of this game has reminded you of that. But I will say that for all the things that it reminds me of and all of the stories it's clearly inspired by and some of the plot twists you'll see coming just because we've seen similar beats in other games and stories before, I never really thought, oh, that game did this thing better than Horizon. I usually thought this is better or this is just as good as it was or this is an interesting new spin on that kind of mechanic. I will say I was was ready to hate the lore and hate the story and... And I don't, it's as, you know, it's, it feels like, uh, you know, it's, you get kind of cynical playing video games like so much, but after a while, just the way that the story allows you to kind of access these deeper layers of the mystery that unveil more information about the world Mm -hmm. 
it's quite entrancing, you know, like the, there's the, it, the way the, the game mechanically doles out these mysteries to you is really effective. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't want to like it as much as I did, and I, I really like it. Yeah, and we won't spoil anything. Yeah. This no. game has only been out for a few days, so you can listen without worry. But you're right. It's just a, a progression of mysteries. You start out wondering, who is this person? She's banished from her tribe, and so is her companion. What did they do to get banished? Who are her parents? And then gradually the scope expands, and you wonder, how did this world come to right. be like this? What happened to the old civilization who's bones are sort of scattered all over the environment and it's an exploration game it's also a game with a really i think well implemented combat system and that's one of the highlights of this game for me is the landscape is littered with these mechanical creatures that resemble dinosaurs or beasts of various sorts and so you hunt them and it's almost a a monster hunter kind of style thing where you can analyze them and you can see what their weaknesses are and every beast you encounter has a different weak point and you can take them down in different ways and so As you traverse this environment, which is beautiful, by the way, and we'll get to that in a second, but you constantly encounter these creatures and you have to determine how you're going to approach them. Every battle plays out differently. You can do a stealth approach. You can just run and gun or run and bow and arrow, really, or you can do it tactically. You'll come across these creatures attacking each other. It just feels... Very organic, and as you go, you you keep unlocking skills, and you can approach battles in different ways, and I don't know that even as far as I am into the game, I have fully mastered the combat system, because there are a lot of wrinkles to it, and you'll yep. switch weapons, and you'll kind of buff your stats, basically, by shocking a creature or or setting it on fire and then you'll do a secondary attack and weaken it further and then you'll move in for the kill but it can be exhilarating at times i've had some boss battles that i just barely escaped from and pulse was pounding at the conclusion yeah for me um the combat i mean like i'm picky about combat i think for me the combat it is quite good the criticisms i would have or the criticism i would have of any third person game that features a very mobile character and that sometimes you just jump into things that you don't know are there or don't know mm-hmm. where they are because you're trying to dodge this gigantic dinosaur that's that's bearing down on you. I will say one thing that I really enjoy is I think the stealth features of this game are, are wonderful. I mean, I, yeah. some of them are a little, it's a little ridiculous that you can like at times uh, stealth kill a dinosaur like right next to its dinosaur buddy and the other mm-hmm. dinosaur like has no idea what just happened. But the graphics and the way that kind of works together with the the stealth mechanic, you crouch in this high grass and the grass blows, mm-hmm. you know, um, in the winds with this kind of reactive weather patterns. And you can only, I mean, you can f- almost feel the stalks of like this high grass, <laughs> like on your skin. It's like, it is just fantastic. Like sometimes I'll just, I'll just sit there and just watch these dinosaurs, especially at night when mm-hmm. their their lights kind of pick up the the particles and and the fog yeah. in the in the in the night air it's just an amazing game to look at i mean you could just stare at it for a long time it's like this game you know world at war and uh, i guess uh, uncharted 4 some of those breathtaking graphics in games that i've seen 
in a while. It's amazing yeah. games to look at. Yeah, definitely. We talked in our stealth episode about my distaste for that genre or right. my unease with it. And basically, I just I want to have clear audio visual feedback about whether I am hidden, whether I'm being detected. And this game does really well with that. You always know whether you are being sneaky or not. And you're right. It's when we talked about Battlefield 1, we were right. raving about the smoke effects and the fog effects. And it's the same thing here where there will just be these hazes that move in or you'll see the moon shining through the clouds and it'll just be this moment that really makes you stop and appreciate it. And yeah. this game almost makes me happy that there's a photo mode. I never <laughs> <laughs> I never take photos in any video game. I never really take photos in real life for that matter. But I almost wanted to in this game just because it's kind of a, a combination of the technical feat, which I think... In the last Killzone game, Killzone Shadowfall, there were really varied environments and you'd go from like an ice environment to a jungle environment. And they really carried that over into this game where the map is enormous, but if you go to a high point, you can see yeah. so far, you can see if you're in a desert environment, you can see snow-capped mountains in the distance or you can see a forest in the distance and you know that you can walk to those things and it won't take that long like i don't know what's going on geologically in this world but you you move from one climate to another very quickly and later in the game i think you find out why that is but just visually it's striking it really makes it feel like a vibrant world one thing i really enjoyed um and it's a small thing but it's these like kind of small things you makes you wonder uh, why this hasn't been done or why this isn't done more often is uh, you can adjust the HUD. You can totally customize it yeah. to where you know you can make it so that information appears when it's needed, either when you, let's say you're going to switch weapons or switch items or when a quest is activated. So most of the time you just, you can have a very, very clean screen, very clean look, just staring at this, at, at nature, whatever landscape you're looking at. It's really immersive and it's really, really cool. Uh, I wish more games had stuff like that. Yeah. There's crafting in this game, which usually like there's no I usually phrase. Hate crafting. Yeah, there's yeah. no phrase you can say to drive me away more quickly than crafting, <laughs> either in video games or in real life. In real life, I I start thinking about glue sticks and scissors and paper mache and I run screaming. And it's the same in video games, but I don't find that painful at all in Horizon. It's really just sort of a a means of making you aware of what your supplies are and you'll need to replenish your ammunition but it's not a complicated process you don't have to really go into many menus every time you can just pull up one button and hold it and it will craft new arrows or whatever it's it's pretty painless so it sort of makes you conscious of what you're carrying and you have to prepare for fights but it's not at all in in-depth system like you'd find in some fully fledged rpgs that would probably put me off yeah i'm I'm waiting for that game that really gets crafting i mean this is this is like the the simplified version of crafting right it gives yeah. you the shows you the ingredients what you need to make a particular thing everything is clearly marked in the world what it is every time you kill a uh, robot dinosaur gives you certain resources and you can use those um, as you wish there are vendors scattered throughout the world that you can buy stuff from if you need to do that. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm waiting for for a game to really get crafting right in the sense of what it would be like in real life to like be like, I'm going to make an arrow. So <laughs> like you can just snap 
a twig like off any tree and some of them are different sizes and like mm-hmm. and where you could really improvise and put stuff together in ways where it might work it might not work and you need to figure it out mm-hmm. um i hope that happens one day that's just me that's an aside that's just me <laughs> speaking out loud the cra- i usually do hate crafting as well but this yeah. is they make it as they make it as simple as it can possibly be in this game yeah and if you're wary of diving into this thing because You've been playing other games like it and you know it's going to take all your time and you've just had enough of these mechanics. I I just think there's enough originality here that you won't mind it. It's a fresh take on all of those things. So if you're sick of climbing towers in Shadows of Mortar or Assassin's Creed to unlock parts of the map and there are 30 of them on every section of the map... Well, in this game, there are really only a handful, and they're not just static towers. They are giant brontosaurus-like dinosaurs that you have to scale in different ways, and it's a new challenge every time, and it's much better looking, and it's much more dynamic. And that's just an example of how this game kind of takes those conventions but puts a new fresh coat of paint on it so that you don't feel like you're playing the same old thing. And if you're tired of the same gruff action hero protagonist, Aloy is a refreshing change. She is a very capable, independent young woman. This is a world populated by people of every race and color and creed. So just in terms of the protagonist you're spending all this time with, it's a nice change from the silent male assassin model. And the collectibles are not out of hand. I don't feel pressured. I mean, there are collectibles that I'm not even aware of, really. Cause... <laughs> well, yeah, there's. I, I'd say that I'm not aware of probably 98% of the collectibles. I think I have two yeah, or right. three, maybe. And, and yeah. that's okay. And the game doesn't really right. force that on you. Like, it's not going to be like collecting feathers or whatever in Assassin's Creed where they're just littered everywhere and they're cluttering the map. Like, they're there. You can go exploring for them. There's always kind of a clear payoff for collecting those things like you know why you're going to get them there's some the game sort of helpfully divides all of your chores into errands and main quests and side quests so that you know that is whether something helpful. is actually important or whether you can just let it slide and what's going to progress the story and what isn't and so you always know like well i can go hunting for this thing and i will get this item or this weapon and maybe that will be worth it whereas in other games you're collecting things just sort of hoping that there's a cool payoff at the end and there usually isn't and you're mad at yourself as soon as you move on to the next game that you compulsively spent all that time collecting those things for no reason. So I never feel like I'm doing something just out of obligation in this game. It's driven by a a curiosity. I want to find out more about the world. And I do find it more compelling when I'm just out in the wilderness on my own, exploring the ruins of the ancient civilization or encountering new creatures. When you're in the cities and you're fighting humans or you're doing human-driven stories that are kind of tangential to the main plot and the mysteries, that can drag a bit, I find. But yeah. that's that's when you really feel like you, okay, I've done this. This is what I've done before. Right. It's really when you're when you're out in the wild and the yeah. dinosaurs are grazing. Mm-hmm. I guess why why they graze, I'm not quite sure, but they gra- they do graze. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and that's when the game is just really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm still really enjoying and I'm definitely going to finish this game and would recommend it to anyone. And 
there's some repetition in the mission types. You know, there's sort of go here and kill this and report back. And there are these telltale Batman game style investigations of crime scenes where you're tracking people who fled (laughs) from a campsite over and over. And so it reuses those things to a certain extent. But on the whole, I have not felt really a lull throughout my time with this game. And our problem is just that Games are too long. Games are too long. <laughs> Games are too long. This is a problem. It really is. Uh, this game is so freaking long. It is. But I we have to draw a distinction, I think, between games that are too long for us because they don't fit into our lives and because there are other <laughs> right. games we want to play and right. games that are just padded so that you feel like you're getting the same amount of game right. in a much longer game. I don't feel that way with this. Like yeah, I, don't I don't feel, feel like either. the experience is being artificially extended to pad the playtime. There is just a, a ton of stuff to see and a ton of content, and it's all pretty compelling. And so I guess the problem is really just the stage of life and career and yeah. the release schedule right now where I know that Zelda is looming as I'm trying to finish this game and ghost recon is coming out ghost recon yeah i mean i'm getting emails from ubisoft pr about you know massive open world responsive environment and i'm just like oh not another one how am i ever gonna find time for this so that's our problem i guess like if we were at a different stage of life where we had more free time and maybe less disposable income and we knew that we were going to have a ton of time to play a game and that maybe we could only afford one game. This would be a bounty. We could play this game for weeks. And now I kind of want <laughs> the same. Exp- I basically yeah. want less bang for my buck. Like right. I, I want the same experience, but right. I want, less I, of want it, which... <laughs> I want triple A graphics, triple A mechanics, this kind of well-crafted progression system, but yeah. I want it in a four to six hour story. Right. If that's possible. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and maybe a multiplayer thing, but it's not like super important because I have my multiplayer games. Yeah, it's like I wish right. that would happen, but it, yeah. yeah. And I don't know if that makes economic sense for developers right. if you're going to go to all the trouble yeah. of making this engine and designing these creatures and building this world. Obviously, you want to fill it up with stuff, and other people who want a really long game will complain if they spend sixty dollars on a AAA game and then they're finished in five hours. Whereas that's kind of what I crave, but. Again, that's our problem, I think, more so than Horizon's problem. Here's an interesting thought problem. Could you, is it possible to finish, let's say, every AAA slash popular medium indie game that is released in a in a single year? Is it possible to finish, <laughs> not to 100%, but just like the main quests? Like the year Witcher was released, I think, what else uh, came out yeah. that? Yeah, like, could you have finished all of Witcher and and <laughs> Metal Gear and, you know, like, did you finish Final Fantasy? No. Yeah. I've been waiting. <laughs> I've been waiting because they're updating it and right. they're tweaking it constantly, which gives me an excuse to wait. Like, maybe if I wait, it'll be a better experience. But yeah. that's just, that's my rationalization for why I don't have to finish that right now and I can move on to something else. So... I don't think you could while having a life and a career. Yeah, I don't hard. think you could do it. Stop playing basketball for a little while, guys. Until Yeah, stop until doing everything else. Durant get mono. Get healthy. Yeah, get mono. <laughs> yeah. Stop producing, stop the world, stop the internet until we can finish Horizon yeah. Zero Dawn. <laughs> I'm at 18%. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know how many hours I've sunk into this thing, but I I think I'm more than halfway through it, at least not in terms of completion percentage, but in terms of plot. But I'm looking forward to the rest. I'm still compelled to play. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going to grind man, down the, the main missions this Life this is weekend. not long enough. Yeah. It is not. <laughs> All right. This segment is long enough now. We can stop talking about Horizon Zero Dawn. Again, we're both liking it. If you have a PS4, that's the only option to play this game currently. So if you have one, we recommend it. And we will be right back after a quick break to talk to Luke Plunkett about being afraid. Some people still don't get podcasts. What's out there and how to listen, you can help change that with one click. Right now, think of someone you care about. What podcast would they really love? Got it? Now do it. Hit the share button on the bottom left of your screen. If they don't know how to listen, offer to show them how. And tell us what you shared with the hashtag tripod. That's T-R-Y pod. Thanks for spreading the word. All right, so we are back, and we are joined now by Luke Plunkett, Kotaku editor and self-proclaimed video game coward. Hello, yes. Luke. <laughs> Hi, guys. How's it going? <laughs> it's going okay. And You wrote a couple of years ago in a piece at Kotaku that sometimes you feel like you're the only person on the internet who literally cannot play a scary video game, and you are not. Let me assure you, you are talking to at least one <laughs> other such person right now, and... I wanted to explore the dimensions of your video game fear because I know that you were recently attempting to play Resident Evil 7, so you are a braver man than I just uh, I, making I think, the I think attempt. attempt. I think attempt is being very generous for how far I got in that game before I threw it out the window. So, <laughs> Wait, how far, how far did you get? You got in the uh, house. I, would I got in the, the house. Woods. I got to the part where the the dad cuts your leg off and then you kind no. of stitch, stitch <laughs> it back on. That's not bad. And I was I like, no, he... that's it. That's, that's, I'm done. This is good. <laughs> this is good. But what made you think that you could do it? Because I didn't even, I, I know I can't play Resident Evil 7. I was not even going to make the attempt, but you tried. Do you just periodically see if you have developed a backbone or what is it? I've never found Resident Evil games scary. Like I love Resident Evil 4, but that was like an action game. It was like a shooter. And so I'm like, that's fine. Resident Evil 5 was also a shooter. I'll be fine. This is fine. I didn't play 6, but I heard it was terrible. So this is fine. I'll just play Resident Evil. It's first person. It'll be a shooter. I'm fine. This is fine. And then I'm about 15 minutes into it and I started thinking, oh, I'm not fine at all. I'm not fine. This is There's lots of dark spaces and noises coming out of it and everything's really slow and they're doing camera tricks that are designed to scare the crap out of me and yeah, so I'm, I'm quite proud of myself. I got as far as I did. I didn't bail at that point because that point itself was that scary. But it was just sort of I can see where this is going. This is this is not for me. I'm I'm going to go and play something else. <laughs> so what have you tried? to cope with this fear because your colleague Kirk Hamilton wrote a list of tips for people playing Resident Evil 7 or horror games in general for people who are scared by those games to get by and you tweeted a picture of yourself playing basically your setup in broad daylight so what are your workarounds <laughs> how do you try to trick yourself into playing one of these games I don't play these games that's how I that's how I <laughs> <myself. laughs> 
<laughs> that's about the extent of it. I found none of that stuff works for me. I, I think the the thing that I found writing that piece, well, writing that piece originally for Alien Isolation, because I had a similar problem with that game, is that it doesn't matter if I've got the sound turned down, if I've got the lights on, if the window's open, what time of day it is. None of that sort of mattered because video games are sort of so especially those kind of first-person games, they're so immersive that it, I kind of tune out the external factors anyway. So none of that sort of stuff ever seemed to work for me. So I don't cope. I don't try and cope. I just accept I have personal limitations and I, I play video games accordingly. Where did this particular phobia originate? Was there a moment, was there a game where you were like, oh, man, I can't, I can't do scary games? Or was it, yeah, even, the, did you start a- with the movies? I don't watch horror movies, so it's related. And I think um, I think one of the things of, of sort of being in the job that I'm in now and sort of in a position to sort of try and, and put my feelings down on papers sort of helped me self-diagnose some of my issues with horror stuff. And I, I think what I wrote in the in the Alien Isolation and Resident Evil post was that I just don't get that. You know, a lot of people I know sort of get that rush, that sort of this sort of euphoric feeling from watching a horror movie or playing a horror game where the you know there's some a body chemical thing going on where they'll, they'll they'll feel scared and then they'll get this rush of adrenaline and then that'll make them feel great and exciting and stuff. And I just never get that. I get the dread and I get the sort of negative <laughs> side effects and I never get the payoff. I never get the, yeah, this is great. I just get the bad stuff and it really sucks. <laughs> the first time I noticed it, sort of really noticed it, was Half-Life. Oh. It was, uh, there's a sequence in, not the, not the whole game, there's just one part of Half-Life where you have to jump under the water yep. and there's yeah. a, and there's that, you know, piranha shark thing sort of, and the water's really cloudy, so you can't see it. And, and eventually it just comes out of nowhere and, you know, it can kill you in a couple of bites. And that used to, that I had serious problems getting past that part in the game. Um, and that's what I, that's the first thing I can remember, you know, sort of feeling like, oh man, I'm having serious bodily issues finishing, finishing a video game and doing this. Part. And that, that's sort of, that similar feeling has cut like assassin's creed 4 i had the exact same problem with the diving sequences where you go underwater and there's sharks i, cu- I couldn't do it I, I didn't really have like a phobia of sharks but there's something about the the way they the way the camera works in those sort of situations and how the, something's coming out at you from nowhere and sort of leaving you on right. the edge of your seat the whole time i was like nope can't do this so I actually would sometimes get my wife to help me <laughs> do the diving parts of those games because <laughs> I'm like I, sh- I would just hide in the in a wreck till I ran out of air because I just couldn't I couldn't do it. It strikes me now that there are a number of sequences and probably in some very famous games that I now wonder if you could have done. Did you ever? Did you play Halo? Did you do the, what about the flood level on Halo? Yeah, the flood. I, I didn't mind the flood. That's a bit different. That's sort of really frantic. It's, that's it's kind of the difference between Alien and Aliens is is sort right. of how I how you, and I you're heavily the armed there. the whole time. Yeah, yeah they're, they're yeah, just yeah. sort of coming at you relentlessly. There's nothing sort of really unknown and and scary about that. You know, I'm sure there'll be a psychologist listening to this somewhere diagnosing me as having a fear <laughs> of the unknown, but you know, because it, it's always something coming out of me from somewhere I'm not expecting. But yeah, the flood, the flood were fine. Um, I'm but- trying to think of other notable sort of big games where I've had those issues, and I really think it's it's the the Assassin's Creed sharks and the Half Life <laughs> shark thing are probably what the about, two. What about fear? The first fear had some uh, notable jump scares and that like really scary little girl. I didn't play Thank- it. Mm. I've only played one fear game and I can't remember whether it was the second or the third. 
But that was super corny. Like, oh, that wasn't right. like, yeah. you know, that's well, like. Okay, what about what about Firewatch? Because there's kind of, did you play Firewatch this year? I because did, yeah. I reviewed I reviewed Firewatch for. There's um, a few, there's, there's this kind of vibe that happens there where you're wondering maybe there's a killer loose or maybe they're going to think you're the killer or is it a bear? Yeah, that's it's a. It's like very vulnerable feeling. That was, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Because that's definitely something I felt when I was playing the game. You get this really sort of creeping sense of dread. Like, is right. is this yeah. going to open up and go somewhere unexpected and strange? Which, you know, spoilers, ultimately it, it doesn't. But um, <laughs> <laughs> skip five seconds for that bit. And then <laughs> though, I never had a problem with that, though, I guess for the same reason. Because that wasn't something just coming you know it's not like you're walking down the steps of of the the watchtower and suddenly a bear jumps out from underneath you and bites your leg off or something it's it's that was something sort of more of a a narrative slow burn than sort of a more action-based sort of instant thing that might instantly kill me at any time yeah it's difficult to classify exactly what this is then because it's not necessarily just cases where the game is trying to scare you because you're describing some cases that People probably wouldn't be described as scary or they're not horror games, certainly. They're just sort of tense situations or situations where you aren't completely in control or you don't know exactly what's about to befall you. And I feel the same thing when I play. Like, I won't even try to play a game like Resident Evil 7, but even if I'm playing something that isn't scary on the surface, there will be some sequence that makes me uneasy and it's hard to see it coming, and it's kind of hard to describe exactly what fits the parameters of something that will scare me or not. It makes you wonder if if everybody has these their own little niche fears and uncertainties. Like, are there people playing sports games or strategy games, you know, or or, or, or dating sims? And 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 each one of those genres may unexpectedly have its own sort of unexpected fear or, or something that it's preying upon psychologically on you that really sort of freaks you out and makes you sort of go oh wow i can't play this because it's it's bringing up bad memories or it's 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 tweaking something in me that i really don't like and i feel uncomfortable about this so i'm going to put it down even though it's just a brain training puzzle game or you know a sports management <laughs> sim or, or something that's seemingly harmless yeah well i'm trying to i mean do you think that the medium makes it better or worse because in video games at least you have the illusion of control you could just walk into a corner of a room or something and stop whatever is happening usually i i guess if you're watching a scary movie you could close your eyes or peek through your fingers or something but you can't control it in the same way but maybe in a video game it's really just the illusion of control and you can't entirely escape whatever the scary situation is so does the immersion and the fact that you are controlling the character make it worse or do you not distinguish between games and movies or books or whatever? I guess it does because I've, I've, now that I'm thinking about it, I think part of the the thing that I hate about the, the sequences that I hate in particular is that threat where if yeah. I'm watching a movie, it's it's a movie. It's a linear piece of sort of external entertainment. I can compartmentalize it. I can, Like you said, you can close your eyes, you can walk out of the room, whatever, and it's going to continue on its rails and you can come back and it's going to be doing that. A, a game sort of, especially most games where you're invested and you have a character who has health and if that health reaches a certain point, you know, you're dead or you have to restart or whatever. And so you, you, it's that sense of added threat and danger that a game provides might be what's making it more scary than just watching some more passive form of entertainment where if I'm feeling Mm -hmm. 
personally threatened like oh man if i die here i'm gonna have to go back to a checkpoint i'm gonna have to sit through that cutscene again or or you know i am going to have to sit through the first five minutes of this really terrifying boss battle or sequence again (laughs) to get to the next five minutes where i keep dying which does not sound like something i want to do at all yeah so it's really a testament to the power of video gaming then that we are so scared playing them because if it weren't such an immersive experience then we could disengage from it more easily and we could make our way through these games but we can't and that's the power of video games or maybe or maybe even maybe even good like maybe even good video game design because they're similar like if you think of a game like doom with you know the famous monster closets which are you know on paper that's the same thing it's something coming out at you unexpectedly that's going to threaten you but that's so predictable in doom and it's it's something you're expecting every time you open a door or, or go around a corner that it's not it's never actually scary. Yeah, right. I played Doom last year. I I loved Doom and it was it was great and it was fun and I was never scared cuz like every everything you're encountering is some spawn from hell and that's just what you expect coming in and, <laughs> yeah, and it's just gonna... it's the status quo that it's like this is what <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be doing. I'm not going to open any doors in this video game because every single one of them is going to be full of demons from hell who are going to shoot things at me and that's fine. Um right. but yeah, it's it's more the the ability of, of a designer to sort of be able to create an experience where you are not seeing what's coming. And so it's like, fine, I know Alien Isolation, it's a horror game, but it's that it might still tempt you into, okay, I'm going to walk down this bit and this bit might be fine or it might not be fine. And it's that uncertainty that that is probably testament to the good video game design in itself that it may not be games themselves that are scarier, but a good scary video game is scarier than you know a, a movie or a TV show or, or something like that. Alien Isolation, I think, one of the things that game really did well, and it's a very imperfect game, but I think one of the things it really did well was this feeling of vulnerability where, you know, one of the mechanics is the alien shows up and you've just got to hide and just be extremely quiet um, and hope it doesn't smell you or whatever, sense you somehow as you cower like in a footlocker. How does like what what are the things that create that feeling of vulnerability for you in a game? I mean, obviously, like, isolation is a game that doesn't really have a lot of weapons. I think Resident Evil is another game where it's like you don't really get a gun until pretty far into it. You know, you're running around with like a like a hammer and a screwdriver and, and whatnot. Um, is it really just a matter of um, not being able to defend yourself, or is it something about the controls, the clunkiness? Like I, I notice in isolation and Resident Evil, there's a kind of a clunkiness of the controls that seems like a design element in order to make you feel as if feel like you really have a mortal digital body in this game. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a massive part of it. It's it's that combination of because you think horror movies are the same. Everybody's helpless. It's always a yeah. bunch of teenagers in a cabin in the woods. You know, it's never. Well, sometimes it is if, if it's a movie like Dog Soldiers, but most of the time, you know, it's not a group of heavily armed guys with rocket launchers and tanks who can blow up the monster in five minutes because that's not a movie. You know, it's it's things like the Half-Life Shark thing for me. You've got this arsenal of amazing weaponry, but you can't use them underwater. You know, Assassin's Creed, you've got these <laughs> you've got these amazing like acrobatic kill moves and, and swords and muskets, but again, underwater, you can't use them. It's just you sort of swimming awkwardly while you're in the natural environment of something else which is going to tear you apart and (laughs) the the body the body movement sort of adds into that as well is you're not those the thing both of those games do really well is you're not this sort of free floating fast sort of camera on legs is it really does make you feel like you have a a vulnerable slow heavy human body that 
it's going to take time to sort of duck and hide and go through a door and whatever because that's what an actual body does. And that's kind of that's those are often the scariest moments where it's it's not necessarily that you're just running for a door, it's that you're sort of lumbering for a door and you have to the your arm has to actually go out and open it. And as it's opening, the thing behind you is getting closer. And it's it's a really smart way of sort of adding to that tension that a, a sort of more traditional, I, I don't know what you'd call it, animation or, or camera placement or whatever would would allow. What about the uh the Max Payne baby scene? <laughs> Do you remember that one? The dream the dream scene. The, the umbilical the, the, the umbilical yeah. cord tightrope. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> How, how could that you scary? Not did that, that did that frighten you at all? <laughs> no, that's see that stuff. I don't care. Like that stuff's that's sort of more traditional. Oh, not traditional, but that sort of play on just <laughs> yeah. oh, here's something yeah. creepy. There's babies yeah. and blood and stuff. That it's, too. Like, it's like yeah, whatever. That's <laughs> just set dressing. It's there's nothing you know scary or, or threatening. It's not like you you walk down a dark corridor and then a, a giant baby starts chasing you from behind and he's yeah, going mean, like, <laughs> to I recall the first time playing that you're it's so out of character with the rest of the game that you're really like what you know what is going on I don't understand what's going on I hear this baby the, the hallway is stretching and moving I'm not moving right I'll see I maybe this see is what the hallway the, this is what we were saying before about how everybody has maybe everybody has their own niche fears maybe you're just yeah. really scared of babies or babies. It might be it. <laughs> Unexpected babies in the dark. Maybe surprise yeah. babies is your like secret fear in life. Um, I don't know whether you've seen the Black Mirror episode playtest, and I don't know whether you have attempted to play VR horror or or whether you would. Yes. Or, no, never. Or whether, I assume never. Luke can't wait to play VR horror. <laughs> yeah, things. like come on, man. I can't even play Resident Evil with the lights on. I'm definitely not going to put something <laughs> on my head and, and be sucked directly into a, a horror universe. No yeah. thanks. I, like, have you tried VR in any capacity? Like, I'm curious. Yeah, I've, about I've played. Whether... I've, I've done VR, you know, with a bunch of stuff, but. And does it enhance this feeling at all with a regular game? Like, would it make you more likely to be scared or would it only enhance the fear in a game that would already scare you? Yeah, I, I, I know what's going to happen. I can see I can see the road laid out ahead of me. Like, every, every VR thing I've done has been amazing because it's, you know, even with the limitations of, of the visuals or whatever, it still sucked me right into being... Like, even the, you know, the, the original roller coaster demo for yeah yeah that like yeah. that made me a bit like a bit a bit sick as it dips and stuff because it's <laughs> it's tricking your eyes into thinking you're actually on so i totally sympathize with those youtube videos of like the old russian dudes falling off their chairs because they're they're doing that demo because they like can't handle it because i'm i felt you know a little ill going down that that's fine i can see what would happen if i played a game like resident evil in vr and it's like nope i'm not even gonna like, don't put it near me <laughs> i don't even want to try this for academic argument's sake i'm just nope nope <laughs> <laughs> and one of your other colleagues, Gita Jackson, she wrote a piece for Kotaku because she has the same sort of phobia and she just did Let's Plays as a way of experiencing Resident Evil 7. She just watched other people play it on YouTube and I don't think she found it quite as satisfying an experience as someone who likes a horror game might like actually playing a horror game, but she was able to make it through it. Does that have any appeal to you or do you not see the appeal of watching someone else play a game that you can't play yourself? I see the appeal if you were invested in the narrative. Uh -huh. Like if, if I thought, oh, I would love to see what happens to this zombie hillbilly family. I can't wait to see the twists and turns of, you know, who, who comes out on top and are they actually, you know, is there a twist? Um, I didn't care in Resident <laughs> Evil, so I didn't bother. But, you know, I can yeah. see if, if there's a game like Alien Isolation, I watched footage of because the thing that really saddened me about that is i love 
there's so many, so many things about Alien Isolation that I loved. I love the world building. I love the attention to detail in, in all the, the sci-fi design. I love that universe. So I, I thought the opportunity to sort of walk around everything at a ground level was amazing. And then I just couldn't handle the actual core component of the game. So I didn't actually get to experience much of that. But I've seen through watching, you know, I didn't sit and watch the whole story, but I have seen other YouTube videos of other parts of isolation where I'm like, oh man, that was cool. I wish I'd got that far because I could have walked around and, and pressed play on that tape player or, or looked, you know, looked on that piece of poster design or, or something else. So yeah, I can see that. I can, it's, it's not necessarily for me, but I can totally see why other people can sort of soften the blow of horror by, by living vicariously through someone else's <laughs> horror. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about Minecraft survival mode at night when yeah, the monsters come out? Yeah, that's <laughs> it's tolerable. I can handle it. Wow, <laughs> but you, there is a level of fear. We, we, uh, there like is. So I think it's if if you've got one is just normal everyday. You're walking down the sidewalk and you expect nothing to happen. And five is I have to turn this off now. Where would Minecraft the night cycle be? Oh, probably three and a half. <laughs> Are we going halves? Can I go halves? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> three and a half. It's the video game rating scale. It's three and a half. It means it's good. Uh, it's, yeah, I think, I don't know what it is. The, the premise of that is scary because there's the, yeah. you know, there's the sound effects, there's the survival totally. element of it, which is sort of goes back again to that vulnerability and, right. and, the, the legacy and there's of, a, of death. there's like a frantic there's a there's a thing that happens i think first few times i played uh, minecraft in survival mode like that where you're just you see that the sun is setting and you think i gotta build like a i gotta build a fortress now i gotta build a shelter and i gotta hide in this hole in the ground or they're gonna kill me and that you know it, it was exciting yeah it is <laughs> it's not scary though because they're just boxes <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what undermines Minecraft. It gets the sensation right. there and then it's like, oh, no, there's noises and forts. And then you actually look out at the zombies and it's like, oh, these are just boxes. Like, it's fine. So, this is, this so is were fine. you t- totally fear-free like in the 8-bit era, 16-bit era? Like, was it only when realism achieved a certain level that this fear kicked in? I'm trying to think. I remember the Jurassic Park Super Nintendo game was scary. Ooh intentionally Ooh. so because you know how when you, you you know how when you go inside in that game yeah. it's got you know it's got the zelda like overworld but when you go inside it's that first person mode and it's really constricted it gives you that goggle sort of vision which you know i'm self-diagnosing again but that's the same issue i have with the other games where it's that lack of peripheral vision and something mm. coming out at you from nowhere that game sort of amplifies it and it was you know it's it's harmless now i'd be fine playing it now but i remember being you know, a kid and thinking, yeah, this is not cool. I want to get back outside in the sun where the dinosaurs are, are like cute dino- like cute cartoon dinosaurs that I can zap, not ones that are, you know, breathing down the back of my neck every time I turn around a corner. <laughs> I feel like with me, this complex kind of came from childhood where like I was in one of those households where like in order to play games, you would have to do 10 other things to like get the gaming time. And I never had a TV in my room or anything. So I was like constantly sneaking games when I was supposed to be, I don't know, practicing piano or like doing extra homework or something. There was always like something I was supposed to be doing instead. So there was always this meta game where I was like trying to play the game and at the same time listening to see if someone was going to come and catch me playing games when I wasn't supposed to. And so it kind of amplified whatever I was feeling in the game at that time. And I feel like that never completely left me. I was scarred for life. 
Thanks, mum. I feel like I, I feel like you. I feel like you should be lying on a leather couch telling us. <laughs> telling us as, this an, as an aside, I think that that childhood metagame of like hiding things from your parents um, <laughs> is underrated yeah. as like a, as like a developmental tool. You know, like <laughs> hiding uh, illicit materials uh-huh. uh, shows problem solving skills that you're going to need later in life. <laughs> and I for I really I a hundred percent truly believe that like learning how to cover your tracks in a household uh, <laughs> as a child is absolutely needed 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 skills for so you're for saying if, adult if life. so if someone like you know if there's the famous uh, Miyamoto inspiration for Zelda is you know playing outside near his house he's saying other people's inspiration can be making sure their parents never found the, the cigarettes <laughs> at the bottom of their underpants. <laughs> no, but, but like, you know, like it's like as a parent, like you can't, you can't a hundred percent expect a child when you say like, don't look at bad stuff on the internet to actually do it. But what you're hoping that you're doing, I think is instilling the feeling that this is, you don't want to be caught looking at bad stuff on the internet. So figure out how no one will ever find out. This would and be a good horror game. I think so. <laughs> Playing an eleven-year-old child in 2017, <laughs> like trying to a, figure out private with, browsing <laughs> with an yeah. iPad. Yep. Yeah. Started out as a video game podcast, turned yep. into a parenting podcast. Yep. You never know what's going to happen here. It's incogni- incognito mode. We can collect the royalties <laughs> from it later. <laughs> All right, Luke, you're in Canberra, right? Australia? I am. Yes. Yeah. I speaking of sharks and underwater sequences, I went snorkeling in Canberra once years ago, and I couldn't do it i had to go back to the boat because like the water was so deep and it was murky and there are sharks and i couldn't see it was like the great barrier reef oh okay yep i don't i don't know if you're even still allowed to do that but at the time you were i was just like i could see so deep into the water and it was unclear what lurked there and it was like half-life and assassin's creed in real life i had to go back to the boat so beware of the actual water I am. I I I live I live safely inland, and I I go about ten meters out into the beach every time I go, and that's about it. So I'm... well, it's it's in Australia. It's one of the world's leaders in shark attacks, isn't it? Probably, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I don't yeah. know that, but I'll say sure. There's a lot of there's a lot of water. There's a lot of sharks in that water. Um, we are we are one hundred percent coastline, so I am one hundred percent confident that there are a lot of sharks out there. <laughs> All right. You can find Luke on Twitter at Luke Plunkett. I'm glad that we all got to do this group therapy slash counseling session. You guys are we pussies. Are, we are not alone. <laughs> oh, you, wait till, you wait till everyone's saying goodbye to slip that in. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did, I did get scared during Resident Evil, as I mentioned before. I had to stop at one point. Yeah. Well, if you didn't, it wouldn't be working, right? Yeah. That's, that's what it's designed to do. Just works too well in my case and Luke's case. All right. Thanks, Luke. Okay. Thanks. thanks, guys. Okay. So that will do it. End of our first episode on our own home on iTunes. Again, we did it. Subscribe if you haven't. Rate and review. Tell your friends. And we will be back next week. We'll be talking about the Switch. I'm waiting for the door. Mr. Mailman, bring me a Switch. I'll see you at the top of the tall neck. <laughs>